The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect those of WBFS Tallahassee. From the highest points on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. My name is Austin Reynolds, and if you're wondering why I'm not doing my usual start of show ritual of crying about another Falcons loss, so am I, that's because I have slid over to the host chair for tonight. Gary left FSU country a couple days early to be with his family for Thanksgiving, which he absolutely deserves. He puts in a ton of work on the show and behind the scenes at the station, so I am more than happy to take over hosting duties for the night. We do, however, have him on for the first half of the show to talk FSU sports and potentially some college football, too. Gary, how are things on your end? Doing great over here. I'm actually in Georgia uh, celebrating Thanksgiving with my family over here on the lake, so excited for that and excited to talk some FSU sports because it's not only just football season, but we got basketball coming right around the corner, too, this week, hopefully. Exactly, yeah. I mean, there have been some cancellations with FSU's first opponent that we're going to get into a little later, but... uh... For now, uh, we're looking to start the show strong. Uh, so, as always, we also have our producer, Sebastian Angel Riano, here to round out the crew, at least for the first half. How shocked are you that Spurs are currently top of the table in the Premier League? Don't don't say that. <laughs> that scares me. It's not right. It's not natural. I haven't been here in four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited. I'm really excited. The, uh, the City game was as clinical as you could possibly ask it for it to yeah. be. By the way, good evening, everyone. I'm actually, I've moved up. I have crawled out of the tank like some, like, uh, prehistoric, like, you know, those little amphibians that crawled out of the water. I crawled out, and I'm now comfortably sitting on a rock that is the the panel for the first time in almost a year at this point. I have not been in this room because, you know, the hosts are in here because of COVID protocol. Haven't really been in here since the spring. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be back. I'm happy about Spurs. Um, I'm nervous about tonight's Buccaneers game because uh, that team will never, ever let me rest easy. Common thread with my uh, uh, the sports teams that I choose to follow, I guess. But um, I'm excited. Sebastian, it's a great show. Sebastian, are you any bit nervous about Liverpool just right on your tail? Yeah, well, you can never rest easy with, with Klopp and his boys because uh, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll punish you for it. Um, it's one of the best sides in Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, everybody is feeling the heat of game after game after game after game. And it's not going to let up because, you know, in the, in the summer we're going to have, hopefully uh, Europe is going to see their uh, Euro championship uh, play out. But uh, we'll, we'll just have to see with, with cases on the rise. We're, we're, we've got a lot to talk about today. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the rare Premier League mention, the rare European soccer mention on this show, uh, we, we love having those every once in a while. And we will get back to the Bucks towards the tail end of the show, talking about NFL. But for now, obviously, the biggest news from the weekend pertaining to FSU is that their football game against Clemson was postponed due to COVID-19 concerns. Yahoo Sports was the first outlet to break the news. Uh, They said a Clemson backup offensive lineman received a positive test result after landing in Tallahassee on Friday. That's from a test that uh, he and the rest of his team took Friday before flying out of Clemson. uh, And they got the results back only after they got to Tallahassee. And he had been testing negative throughout the week, so no concerns there but he was still attending practice while showing symptoms. So symptomatic, but testing negative, that's that's complicating things for the Clemson team, but uh, definitely a sore look for them. And then Saturday morning, uh, when FSU medical officials were on a conference with Clemson prior to the game, uh, that's when they learned about it and determined that it was not safe to play the game. The announcement came soon after from the ACC, and Clemson also reportedly offered to play the game Sunday or Monday uh, after 
giving an opportunity to get some uh, some contact tracing in, hopefully get, the, get uh, certainty that the rest of the team was negative, but FSU declined that option as well, so no game this weekend. And uh, a bit of an interesting nod to a former Tomahawk Talk, Tomahawk, Tomahawk Talk host here. Jeez, get that out. Uh, Brett Rutherford actually quoted a tweet from Trevor Lawrence, star quarterback for the Tigers, who said, man, we are ready to play. Lots of Clemson players sharing that same sentiment. But Brett uh, quoted it pretty sarcastically, which anyone who reads the tweet outside of Clemson Twitter would know that it's sarcasm. He said, (laughs) there there are things bigger than football, Trevor. We are in a pandemic. And Lawrence felt so compelled to respond, you are right. Wish it was about the pandemic, though. Uh, That tweet has since been deleted. It was deleted pretty soon after he tweeted it. But uh, pretty interesting to know his thoughts on that matter. As for making it up, the possibility of that, uh, both teams do have a bye on December 12th. That's a week before the ACC championship game, a game that Clemson is really favored to be in. Uh, So really, do you agree with the decision to not move the game to Sunday or Monday? Because FSE was given the option. We'll start with you, Gary. Uh, I think this was the correct decision, like 110% correct decision by Mike Norvell, or by the medical staff. It wasn't even Mike Norvell's decision. He said that in his press conference today. And it really makes a lot of sense because when FSU hasn't had a positive test in September when Mike Norvell got it before the Miami game, and when college football coaches and everyone in the beginning of the season, whenever we were, the college football season was in limbo, uh, all the coaches were saying the safest place the, call, the players can be is at their schools while, and play football for the school. And FSU really held up their end of the bargain by doing that. And they really you can't knock them for trying to protect their players and being – a player for school and obviously you would like to see them play the game but if it's not safe like we're in a pandemic people forget that i guess and some people do wink wink nudge nudge at Dabo (laughs) sweeney but you got to remember like what the times are and what we're really going through so i mean i want to go on a little touch on Dabo quickly just here but it's just ridiculous about him and his ad the way that they were posturing yesterday and saturday that it was FSU trying to dodge Clemson and they were using the virus as an excuse, which is a, it's a valid excuse. If you're even calling it an excuse, it's a reason why to cancel the game. And he should, Dabo hasn't been able to control his team well at all since, the, uh, since they came back around the late summer. They've had over 30 uh, players contract the disease and they have the gall to blame FSU for wanting to protect their players. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's completely asinine to do what he did. And one last thing on Dabo here, he needs to remember that he, when he points the finger at someone else and points blame and puts blame on them, he'll always have three fingers pointing right back at him. Yeah, so not a good look for Dabo. He's had a few of these uh, public not good looks uh, this past year, in the past years. Sebastian, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think this game could have realistically been played Sunday or today? Well, if your concerns are a, a positive case that shows up um, right before the game, Playing the game a day later or two days later is not going to fix anything, especially if there is a cause for uh, cause for you know positive cases. You you let the player practice with the team for a week, so that dude has not been only exposed to the guys on the bus. He's been exposed to the, the entire program. You know, uh, the bus is a is a big part of it for me personally. Where it's sure it's not a plane. He's not he's not flying in to Tallahassee, but. Uh, He's, he's sitting next to a guy, right? Yeah. And um, even though, you know, the air in a bus is not airtight, it's not like, a, like I said, it's not like a plane, uh, that air is circulating, he's breathing out, even if they are wearing masks at all times. And let's be honest, I, I, 
kind of doubt that they would wear masks at all times inside a bus. Um, I know the first thing I do when I get in my car is take my mask off. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, that's he's sitting next to a guy, and that guy has lunch next to another guy, and that guy. You, you see how, how, how yeah. um, that could spread through a, or just exposure could spread through a program like that? Um, and you, like, you ask me, hey, that guy's really sick, just with a common cold. Uh, you need to go tackle that guy. I'm like, no, why would I do that? I don't want to get sick with with something as benign as a common cold. Why would I want to risk that for my players um, for a program that I'm trying to turn around and and risk, you know, serious... We don't know the... For me, it's... it's yes, you, you'll... There's a good chance that you'll survive it if you're young and incredibly fit as our athletes are uh, in the collegiate football scene. But ultimately, we don't know what the long-term effects mm. are. You know, how bad is that going to be on your lungs to fill them up with liquid and then hopefully drain them out by two in, in two weeks and for really bad cases? We just don't know. It's better to play it safe. Uh, Florida State has already said we want to play it on the 12th. We can play it on the 12th. We'll play it here. We'll do, we'll do whatever it takes. Just yeah. play the 12th. Calm exactly, down, yeah. dude. Yeah, and I mean, you, you bring up the point about the long-lasting effects, which is incredibly valid. I mean, people love to bring up the fact that there's a 99-whatever percent survivability rate, but what about the people that have long-lasting respiratory problems? What about the people that still got it months ago and still do not have their sense of uh, taste or smell back? You want, yeah, yeah. You want uh, running backs to run 10 yards per carry with, like, a... Sh- uh, a- a handicapped pair of lungs? Like, what, yeah, what that, are you that, doing? That's their football career in the trash. Yeah. So, really, that's that's an issue that Debo kind of brought on himself with bringing that up, uh, as well as the rest of the Clemson fan base. But uh, you, you mentioned uh, FSU has expressed interest in playing this game December 12th when both teams have an open date. Do you guys think this game gets rescheduled, Gary? I, so I had a source tell me yesterday that it's most likely – pretty much almost certain that this game won't be rescheduled and it won't be played on December 12th. Clemson doesn't want to lose out on that bye week that they would have between uh, the last week of the regular season and the ACC title game, which is the week after the 12th. So we probably won't be seeing the Tigers until 2021. And I was also reading an article from the state, a local South Carolina newspaper, and this is, I think, another reason why Clemson does not want to replay this game because Clemson's AD – uh, said it would cost them in the range of 250000 to $275,000 to make the trip back down to Tallahassee to play this game. So at the end of the day, it's really fiscally maybe not responsible for Clemson to play, but also maybe not health-wise responsible. And it'd be a shame if Clemson were to use the health of their players, or maybe the, the durability of their players, as an excuse to not play this game. <laughs> For sure. Sebastian, any thoughts on that? Well, I, I'm glad that Gary brought up the fiscal element because this is incredibly, you know, taxing. This season has been incredibly taxing on public institutions um, across the country. I'm specifically referring to universities and their athletic programs. With uh, Flor- Florida State, we shouldn't forget that their their program suffered greatly by not playing on Saturday and refunding um, all those gate tickets on Saturday. Um, on top of, you know, you, you've got to look at it on the other side where Clemson came all the way down, said, nope, you can't play, with, uh, you can't play against us. you got to go back up. Uh, that's that's $300,000 that are, that are high, and, high and really important. They're really important in this season. And um, so I, I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand, like, the, okay, it's, it's probably not going to happen. Um, I understand that they're upset. But you've, you've got you've to, you know, give 
both programs a, a bit of leeway here. What uh, what you can't give leeway is is Dab- Dabo Sweeney's comments. <laughs> what you can't give leeway is you know uh, players going this is they're scared they're scared yeah. they're scared. Yeah, I would be scared of a virus that could kill me or at least do long term damage to my lungs and torch my professional career that I've invested years of my life for a payout of tens of millions of dollars yeah i would be i'm 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 scared and i, I don't even run uh, uh two miles a day exactly yeah i'm I, I go everywhere with a mask i am that uh, not not really scared but just mindful of it uh, if i was on a football field with a player that potentially had covid i would definitely be scared but i mean the, the fiscal elements that you guys alluded to is really important obviously fsu uh in a year like 2020 is going to sorely miss the income they, they would get from this game and uh, I know that Mike Norvell, uh, in some media availability today, he said that he would be willing to help recoup some of the costs for Clemson if they wanted to <laughs> come down here December 12th and play. I don't know that he would be able to fork up $200,000, but I mean, if he's able to put enough money on the table that they're like, you know what, we can offset some of this and go down and play and get our 50-point win and get further in the college football playoff ranking, then why not? Uh, if, if that's able to come to fruition, then... I don't see how it's a lose-lose for either side because FSU has nothing to lose at this point. This might sound a bit stupid on my end, but shouldn't Clemson, one of the teams that's probably been the best in college football for the past four years or so, shouldn't they have a fair amount of money you that think? they could maybe use on this? I mean, it's crazy. Like they, This team has been winning games, and they've been driving up prices of their uh, at their games, ticket sales, all that revenue. I'm sure their profits are through the roof right now, or at least in years past. They would. They should have some good money management skills and put some aside just in case of emergency. You would think, yeah. I mean, all, not all of that money can go to uh, uh, increase their uh, improvements to like training facilities and all that. Maybe some of the money goes to the players. We don't want to go there, but wink, you know, wink, nudge, there. nudge. <laughs> yeah, surely some of the money that they have laying around could be used to to recoup some of the costs of this game being played a, a month from now. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, really, that's enough about Clemson. Considering the game didn't even get played, we don't even know if it will get played. Uh, but looking at a game that is set uh, on FSC's schedule for this weekend, we have UVA on the schedule, the, F- uh, the Florida State Seminoles do. Kickoff time was announced yesterday to be 8 p.m., so another night game for the Noles. I think yesterday was their, or Saturday would have been their second noon kickoff of the season, so a lot of late kicks for FSU in 2020. And the Cavaliers are on a three-game win streak. They've beaten Louisville, they've beaten uh, one of their ACC team, and they beat uh, Eastern uh, Carolina yesterday or over the weekend. So uh, the Cavaliers have opened as 10-point favorites in this game, obviously because they are in, in a little better spot than FSC right now. What can FSC do to slow them down? For me, at least looking at this game, it really has to come down to controlling the line of scrimmage on both sides. I mean, we're talking about defense right now in terms of FSU stopping that offense for UVA. But it really gets to, it gets a lot more difficult, especially when you have Corey Durden uh, opt out of the season, too. Mm-hmm. So now you're down Martin Wilson and Corey Durden, your two top defensive linemen, and that's something that everyone was touting going into this year. Wow, wow this FSU team is going to have such a stout defensive line, and now it's pretty much been ransacked in a way. So if they're able to stop them and really get to the quarterback, and because UVA doesn't really run the ball all too well, really – it really comes down to Brennan Armstrong and yes. him throwing the ball. I mean, just the last game against Abilene Christian, he threw for 383 yards, four touchdowns, but that's Abilene Christian. So if he, if Florida State is able to really stop uh, him right there in his tracks, they have a great chance at winning this game. But obviously, we Florida State has had trouble getting to the quarterback, so it's, it's going to be a, 
interesting situation to watch play out this Saturday. Yeah, and my apologies for earlier saying East Carolina. I was thinking ECU (laughs) instead of ACU, so uh, one vowel off there. But yeah, Brennan Armstrong, he is their leading passer, obviously. He's also Virginia's leading rusher with 399 yards. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would really qualify him as a dual-threat quarterback, but if you do want to look at him in that way, then FSU has had immense trouble with that position uh, this year, whether it be De'Eric King or uh, the Louisville quarterback whose name is escaping me. Those guys have... uh, had a field day against FSU's defense, suffice to say. Uh, Sebastian, any other thoughts? I just want to see more of the same from what little we've seen from Florida State over the past five or six weeks, which is just, um, you know, making sure that the young guys are getting snaps. Uh, I really would have liked to see the Clemson game been played, mm-hmm. even if it would have been a torching of Florida State on in, in joke. I just uh, I, I want to see more snaps for the for the younger guys. I, I want to see that youth kind of come to fruition. If it comes to fruition, if if the if the guys on the field excel, that's great. Mm. That means Flor- uh, Florida State's future is kind of a little clearer, right? And if it's not, well, you can you can point to recruits and say, hey, look, our guys aren't that great. We really need you. <laughs> like we, we we can pretty much guarantee you snaps if you can just cut get over here. Like I'm 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 optimistic. I've kind of made my peace. With the last football game that I'll attend as a Florida State Seminole, probably, mm-hmm. um, where I'll, I'm probably going to be in the press box this weekend. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, but um, I, I'm not really expecting a win out of this weekend. I'm not really expecting a win for the rest of the season. But uh, I, I really, um, I just really want to think, think ahead and think to the future because. That's all I'm really hoping on right now. Yeah, no, that's definitely the mindset that you need to have. Because, I mean, earlier in the season, obviously, you you want to be a little hopeful for the team. Uh, Hope that some of these younger guys can make an impact right away. And if they don't, then that's fine. Because they are younger guys. They have time to get reps. They have time to work through the ranks and become better players as as Norvell gets more of his guys into this system. So the rest of the season, take it with a grain of salt, honestly. If guys show out, that's great. Uh, That's exactly what you were alluding to. Yeah, and um, I just, I I, I 100% agree. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, I I don't even know if we want to do predictions right now because, I mean, like. I don't think there's really a point. It's it's not, I want to make clear that I'm not like, oh, I'm so disappointed in this season that I I don't even, I don't even expect to win. No, it's like, no, I I knew what I was getting into, uh, or I knew what Florida State was getting into this season where uh, Norvell was basically going to have to strip the team down and, and work from zero. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised to see that that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, some of the old uh, branches have been kind of cleared out, trimmed from the tree, and now we're seeing the tree grow again. I'm, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited. Yeah, that's, that's a great viewpoint to have, especially in such a weird season as 2020 that has impacted all schools in some way or another. FSU just kind of got the short end of the stick in all regards. But let's move on to a more successful program here at FSU. Uh, a couple of more successful programs, really. Uh, FSU men's and women's basketball are starting this week. The women were going to open their season this Wednesday against FAMU, Florida A&M, but their women's team opted out of play for the 2021 season, so they will be taking on Florida, I believe, uh, later in the week. And then the men are currently set to take on Gardner-Webb Friday, as we mentioned earlier at the top of the show, but Gardner-Webb had to cancel their season opener against Duke due to COVID concerns, so we have no idea if Gardner-Webb is going to have to cancel the game against FSU as well, or if uh, the situation is going to work itself out so that they are able to come here to Tallahassee, we have no clue. But for now, they are penciled in to play Gardner-Webb, one of their non-conference opponents in the first game. And in those, uh, speaking of the first games, the men have seven straight home games to open the season, which is really beneficial for them in their, uh, their quest to retain the ACC title. 
Uh, they have games against Indiana in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They have UF, their yearly rivalry game, and then number nine, Duke. Uh, and the first, one of the first conference games of the season. I think the first is Georgia Tech. Uh, but let's get into some of the, the ways this team is going to look different. Obviously, the team lost Patrick Williams, Devin Vassell, and Trent Forrest to the NBA draft, or undrafted free agency. Patrick Williams went fourth to the Bulls. Devin Vassell went 11th to the Spurs. And Trent Forrest was picked up as an undrafted free agent to the Utah Jazz. But as far as additions go, the biggest story is definitely Scotty Barnes. He is a five-star recruit from here in the state of Florida. I was going to say which high school he went to, but he went to three in four years. Uh, moved all around the state looking for better opportunities to showcase his play. And I really can't blame him. I was trying to put a position uh, in his de description here, but he's played as a point guard, power forward, small forward, shooting guard, whatever. I, I found him under all of those four categories. The only the only position he really has not played is center, and I can't blame him for that because you have to have a, a pretty specific build, a pretty specific skill set for center. But a very versatile guy, a five-star recruit for Leonard, Leonard Hamilton, very exciting player to watch here. And they also added the, uh, the number three junior college recruits in this 2020 class, uh, a guard by the name of Sardar Calhoun. He was, uh, I've, I've watched a couple of his interviews. He's super excited to come here uh, and play for Florida State. I believe he was uh, at a Florida State game when Dwayne Bacon was here. So that would be, what, like six, seven years ago, right? Uh, and yeah. He, he told... Wait, uh, yeah. I don't know about six, seven, but it's pretty, yeah, it's been at least four, I'd say. Yeah, I, I'm getting my sense of time warped. But he was <laughs> he was at an FSU game when Dwayne Bacon was here, regardless. And uh, he told somebody, well, I could be the next Dwayne Bacon. And... Wouldn't you know it, he's going to suit up for the Garnet and Gold this coming season. So really cool for him. Uh, but taking all these changes into consideration, FSU has been ranked 21st in the AP Top 25. They are the fourth highest ranked team in the ACC behind Virginia, Duke, and UNC. So what do you two make of this? Do you think that's a fair ranking, too high, too low, Sebastian? I personally don't really think it's anything to worry about. Uh, I have full confidence that Florida State basketball's uh, play on the court within these first seven home games um, we'll prove that, you know, we'll we'll see that adjusted fairly quickly. Uh, they went out or they just do well enough against the teams that they need to do well against, which is pretty much everybody on this list. Um, you'll see them move slowly, move their way up the ranks. You know how it was last year yeah. when this team what, took no prisoners through November, through January, and the AP was so, so hesitant mm -hmm. to give them the number one. Or to, to even just, you know, move them up slowly. It's like, okay, well, uh, let's do 11 and let's do 9 this week. A week later, even though, you know, they've they've won the past 20-something 20, 20 games, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 it's going to get fixed in time. Uh, people are going to pay attention to this team a lot faster than they're going to last than they did last year. Um, I'm personally thrilled uh, for uh, the guys that went out on, uh, was it last Friday night? When was the draft again? Um, this was Wednesday. I Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, it was on Wednesday night. You know, three guys uh, off the board fairly quickly, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Patrick Williams and Devin Vassell going through the draft, and then uh, the the news that uh, Trent Forrest was going to be a, a two way player uh, for Utah came out really quickly. That's why I say all in one night, mm -hmm. um, and that that's exciting because you can, like I said, you can point to that and look at uh, look at the guys that coming through the pipeline and say, hey, this could be you, like. Top ten, two uh, top 15 picks. Two top 15 picks right there. Mm -hmm. Boom. That Ex could be you. Exactly. Yeah, that's a huge selling point. Uh, Gary, what about you? I think I think 21 is fair. I, it's not really too high or too low for me. I was really expecting them to be sitting in that 15 range just based off of kind of precedent of what they did last year because sometimes you get the benefit of the doubt when uh, you have the kind of season you have there. But obviously, like uh, 
like Sebastian's saying, losing Patrick Williams, Devin Vassell, and Trent Forrest all in one offseason, three of the best players on this team, mm-hmm. really does hurt. So it's going to come down to a lot of the other guys to really step up here. And I'm going to hold judgment really until after probably the Duke game, whether I'm going to say this team is good or bad or can compete or won't have a chance in the ACC because that Duke game is really going to be a true barometer because Indiana, you can get lucky either way with Indiana. Florida, they should beat the Gators. And all the games leading up to that with UNF, UCF, uh, Gardner-Webb, they should take care of business there. Agreed. And like you mentioned, uh, some of the other guys are going to have to step up and be the leaders on this team. You look at Raekwon, Raekwon Gray, you look at MJ Walker, those are the kind of guys that you're going to have to look to to take a, a more in, an increased role on this team uh, compared to what they did last year because Trent Forrest really was the heart and soul of this FSC team for his tenure here, and that's that's not in the building anymore. So, I mean, it, it's the constant cycle of guys coming and guys leaving, and FSC was just going to have to adapt to that like they have been. But, uh, I think one person. I was about to say. I think one person that really needs to step up, and he was showing some signs, some good signs last year. Anthony Polite. Yes. I know he's really kind of had an up and down career at FSU so far, but if he can kind of start getting a bit more consistent, which he was towards the end of that season last year, I think he really has the chance to be making a big impact for this team. I completely agree because people earlier in the season were talking about how he wasn't really contributing up to expectations, but. As the season went on, as FSU kept winning games, uh, his role became a lot more defined, and he really came into his own. So I'm looking forward to seeing if he can continue that positive trend. Um, This may be a little early. Uh, We've kind of gotten into it a little bit with uh, wanting to reserve our judgment until after the Duke game, but what do you think is a fair expectation for this team in 2020 to 2021? Do you you think they should be on pace to win the ACC again, uh, even with all the turnover? Uh, What what do you think is the, the outlook? So, in my opinion, I really see a top four. If they finish top four in the ACC, that's pretty much where I'm expecting this team to land right now because you can't expect to come in there and dominate two years in a row against the Blue Bloods mm-hmm. of this conference because there's still Duke, Louisville, Virginia, and UNC sitting right here waiting for Florida State. And if they can do that, if they can uh, upset this conference for the second year in a row, I mean, that would be surprising as all heck, but... It's really tough. So if they finish top four in this conference, I think this, that's another sign of a good season. If anything, that's a sign of another growing season, that this team really isn't falling off. Mm-hmm. But I'd say anywhere outside five, five or worse, it's starting to get a little bit iffy for me. I can agree with that. I mean, Leonard Hamilton has shown he has an ability, ability to, uh, to develop new guys in his system, but it, it could just take a little longer for some guys. Who knows? Uh, so definitely interesting to see where this season goes uh, if FSU is able to defend their crown in the ACC, but it'll be a tough road to get there. Uh, before we get to the break, just real quick, there weren't really a ton of high-profile college college football games played this week, and the ones that were played really ended as they were expected to. So we're not going to go too in-depth on the, the full slate, but really, did you guys have any changes in your college football playoff projections over the weekend? Gary? Um, I'm going to stick with Bama, Ohio State, and since he's still in my top four, since he obviously would be the four, Bama, at one, OSU at three, but I'm taking Clemson out. I'm throwing them out the window because I had them in my top four last week, but they have showed no signs of good team management and good togetherness and willingness to focus on themselves this week in their, when they decide to put the blame on FSU. And when you heard a lot of the coaches at the beginning of the season, they always were saying the team who manages the virus and manages 
mitigating all this stuff the best will win. Clemson obviously has not had that chance to, or has not had that uh, willingness to contain the virus and stop that spread. So that just shows to me that they're not focused enough right now on doing the right things off the field to make sure they're healthy on the field. That is completely fair. When I saw it in the document, I thought it was just kind of like a like a joke jab at Clemson. But I mean, if you are going to compete for an ACC championship and later a national championship, there's a certain level of discipline that your team has to uphold. And if you're not able to do that leading into a game against Florida State, a two and six team, then who knows how well you're going to be able to prepare, uh, keep your team away from the threat of COVID heading into that championship game against presumably Notre Dame. So very fair, mm-hmm. assess- very fair assessment there. Sebastian. So, yeah, I frankly agree with Gary there, mm-hmm. where um, pretty much his composition of the top four in the country. But um, I, if it's the teams that I think are going to be in the college football playoff, then I don't think since he's in the question. Mm-hmm. As much as we'd like to see um, a program from the All American make it to the national, uh, to the college football playoff, it's just not going to happen. Uh, a one loss you know, um, e-ticket team, let's call them, like Clemson, is going to have a bigger sway with the committee than a team like Cincy. We, we, we'd love to, like, I'd love to see the Bearcats there, mainly because I think it'd be really funny if if uh, the committee was like, well, all right, we'll let somebody from the All-American in, and UFC is just sitting there looking like, what uh, uh, what, what, what do we do? What do we do wrong? Luke like, Faye would, pl- well, Luke would Faye... pop, a, pop, pop a blood vessel. There we go. Yeah. Hey, Cincinnati beat a reigning na- or beat a national champion this yeah. past week, and oh, they took God. down the Knights in the bounce house. I mean, that's something tough to do. You don't <laughs> walk into the bounce house and leave there with an easy win. Not since at least twenty, what is it, twenty fifteen? That's mm-hmm. the only. That's the last time when you could do that. I want to give a shout out though to to Indiana. I think no, who who did uh, OSU play this week? They played Indiana. Indiana. Yeah, they Same played place. Indiana. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to them because they played like a classic game. Yeah, where they they took they made OSU work for that win, and it's, it's fantastic to see. Yeah. Um. It. I know we meme a lot about f- quality losses up here, but that quality genuinely loss. was a quality loss yeah. where where you can't yeah. really fault them. I for, agree. For slipping there. Um, but yeah, my my top my playoff uh, look is still uh, Bama, Notre Dame, uh, OSU, Clemson. But would, I'd love to agree with you, Gary. I would have to did, say the same here, because I oh, mean, did the, you guys did you guys see this about BYU recently? No. Oh, the the drama with Washington where they, so uh, they, they yeah. So they there's a will they won't they kind of thing going on with Washington. Hey, if BYU can take down Washington, maybe in Washington. Maybe you got to start considering the Cougars. That it, that's you know what that might be a uh, a thing to look at. I just don't know if the, the the really just the crux of this whole thing is the ACC championship game. Mm-hmm. If Notre Dame mm-hmm. wins again, then yes, they're going to look at another team. They're going to look at your BYU's. Your maybe may, like since he is the outside man looking in. But uh, they might they might go with Cincinnati. Uh, but uh, until then, like that, this is this is all pure speculation. We yeah. really have no idea where that's gonna end up. Agreed. And I, I'm gonna have to side with Sebastian here. Pretty much his exact top four, uh, because even though people were using this Indiana game to kind of discredit Ohio State, they were able to win. You have to, you have to win ugly sometimes, yeah. even if you're Ohio Indiana State. Indiana is a quality team. Like there are, yeah. there are a couple of Big Ten teams that are that are good this year. Mm-hmm. It's not just uh, the Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, it's like who's it gonna be between those two? But um, like Northwestern is good, mm-hmm. uh, Indiana is good, and Ohio State is good. 
yeah, it's a completely weird year for the Big Ten. Michigan, uh, Michigan and Penn State are not in the mix as they usually are, but that that just speaks to how weird 2020 is for all schools involved. We're going to take a quick break here. Thank you, Gary, for coming on. Uh, we, we miss you in the studio, but we're going to be seeing you next week, hopefully. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'll, talk, I'll see you guys next week. All right, that does it for Gary for this week. Uh, we're going to have Evan Eisenstark on in the second half as well, his Tomahawk Talk debut. But for now, you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. back to tomahawk talk we are here for the second half uh we've got evan eisenstark on the phone right now how are you doing uh, evan i'm doing good appreciate you having me on all right ready to talk some nba and nfl uh nba draft and nfl uh week 11 right now so starting off the top three of the uh, the nba draft rather uh shook out pretty much as expected that took place wednesday night uh anthony edwards went to the minnesota timberwolves james wiseman to the golden state warriors and Lamelo Ball, brother of Lonzo Ball, and the uh, the failed product Leangelo Ball, son of Lavar Ball, that whole family is pretty noteworthy. Uh, he went to the Charlotte Hornets, so pretty much as expected there. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Patrick Williams, Evan Vassell, and Trent Forrest all found their homes in the NBA. The first two were lottery picks, and Trent Forrest uh, came in as an undrafted free agent. And fun fact. Patrick Williams is actually tied for the highest drafted player uh, position in the draft in FSU history. He's tied with Dave Cohen's from 50 years ago, 1970. So congratulations to him for tying that achievement. Uh, that's pretty incredible considering that 
FSU players don't have the greatest pedigree for being drafted high. Sure, some of them perform in the NBA, but those are more like late round finds. Uh, so gr great stuff for him. Uh, but how do you guys see these th these three players fitting in with their new teams? Obviously, it's going to be a bit of a harder road to success for Forrest just because he's on a two-way contract. He's going to have to work his way up to the main roster somehow. But what do you think, Sebastian? Well, I honestly think that um, Trent Forrest is going to have Trent, Trent Forrest's path to the NBA, I think, is the clearest one out of the three. Mm -hmm. I know those, the other two guys are on rosters, guaranteed. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think, you know, the things that will the the things that made him special here at Florida State will make him special in the G League, and they'll make him special in the NBA when he gets there. You know, those leadership qualities, you know, taking a team to greatness, mm -hmm. uh, to heights that you haven't really seen from Florida State in a very long time in terms of, you know, going the distance in the in the tournament and go, uh, the ACC tournament, I should make right. clear, uh, <laughs> and in the ACC regular season, being a leader, a guy among guys um, in a regular season like that, even though it was cut short, I think he'll be fine. I think it'll be just fine. I have I have huge confidence in him specifically. Uh, no disrespect to anybody else. Uh, mm. Anybody else who got drafted, including the other two uh, Florida State players that were drafted um, last week. But um, I, I'm I'm really optimistic about Trent. I can agree. It could be kind of biased because we've been around the team uh, so often. But I mean, he was a large part of why this team made it to the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight. Uh, they were in position to get a top seed in the NCAA tournament and potentially go far in that. So, I mean, teams have to see that. Teams have to see his leadership capabilities, and I am sure they are going to shine through in the G League, like you said. Uh, Evan, wh what do you think about these three guys? I mean, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid here. I really <laughs> like all of them. Um, but I think my favorite part of the draft night was going on Twitter and seeing all the Bulls fans get so upset mm -hmm. that they drafted a player that had never started a game before. But when you watch him here at FSU, he has all the intangibles. He's shown the skill. I think if Billy Donovan, the Bulls, can get him to where they need to be, he can be an all-NBA talent. Same thing with Devin Basball. Mm -hmm. He's shown flash of being a superstar here. I have complete faith in the Spurs organization. They have that reputation. And with Trent Forrest, same thing as Sebastian said, I think eventually he'll get to where he needs to be. He just needs to work on his three-point shooting a little bit. He may not be a superstar like the other ones, but I can see him being that guy in Utah. I completely agree. And I can I can attest to the, the Bulls fans being a little confused by the pick at four. I, I saw some people saying, oh, I, I wanted this guy, but he was a bit of a reach at four. Maybe we could have traded down to get him. But, I mean, that's just looking at it on the surface because he was – I would say probably the second biggest contributor on this FSU team behind Devin Vassell. And heck, some teams saw him as the biggest contributor. That's why he was drafted seven spots ahead of Vassell. So, I mean, the intangibles are there. The the playmaking is there. Obviously, he was a, a double-digit scorer off the bench, which you don't really see outside of Leonard Hamilton's system. And that's just a, a testament to how well he is able to run six or seven-man rosters. So, a bit of a new taste for, uh, for Bulls fans that aren't really tuned into FSU, like you said. But which player are you guys most inter interested in seeing play once the season starts? It doesn't have to be an FSU player. It doesn't have to be anybody from the top three. It can be those guys. But who are you trying to set your sights on? Evan, we'll start with you. Um, I think I want to go with Anthony Edwards in Minnesota. Um, I just like seeing the, how the top pick plays. And also, when the, in the draft, there's probably some smoke screen, but there are concerns about 
his love for basketball mm-hmm. and what he really wants to do. So I want to see if he can live up to the hype of the number one pick or if it was more of a bust. Yeah, his his drive to play basketball was a really weird discussion that people were having days before the draft uh, when his comments got out that said he was never really in love with basketball. He would rather be in the NFL where you can like have the touchdowns, uh, celebrations and all that. And he just he's really going to the NBA because he's good at basketball, which is not what you want your potential and eventual number one pick over number one overall pick saying. But I saw him play at Georgia for a little bit. I'm a Georgia fan on the side. Uh, he was great for them. And I think he's going to be great for the Timberwolves, especially paired up with Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, I think they are going to have something to say in the Western Conference. Maybe not make a run to the playoffs, but they'll be in the mix. And then moving on to free agency, that opened up this past Friday. A couple days after the draft, some of the biggest moves that we saw. Uh, actually, Sebastian, you have something? Yeah, no, I I, was, I just wanted to, to, to kind of open a section up. I just really had a question because you, you two uh, clearly follow the NBA a lot more than I do. Mm. It's just a matter of, you know, uh, Tampa doesn't really have a town, so I can't really – Now they so do. I can't really, now we do. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a yep. minute. But um, – some, something that I've noticed is I know the, the trade window, I guess, is smaller this year because it's we've got less time before the NBA season kicks off again. Mm-hmm. But it feels like instead of, you know, seeing these monolithic contracts, uh, you know, that you usually see, you know, uh, super maxes and, and, and the like, what we're really seeing this, this season in the first, like, week or so of, of free, uh, free agency is you're seeing a lot of role players and a lot of not all-star, all-star guys, but the guys right behind the all-star guys, uh, for lack of a better term, secure the bag. Yeah. Where yeah. they're where a bunch of like these pretty good guys, not great guys or all-stars, but uh, they're they're getting like they're getting paid. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to know like why that is specifically this year. It doesn't feel like any other uh, league is really paying their guys mm-hmm. in the same way that uh, the NBA is writing up checks for everybody. It feels like. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to put a finger on because you have those guys that are getting max contracts like Jalen Brown or was it Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum? One of those two young stars for the Celtics. Uh, he signed a five-year, $195 million uh, contract with the Celtics, a max contract. But outside of that, it is really guys like Fred Van Vliet with the Raptors, four years, $85 million. Uh, Gordon Hayward, who was not really a big contributor on that Celtics team. He got a four-year, $120 million deal with the, the Charlotte Hornets. So it is a bunch of those guys. So the fact that he's been, what, injured for the past two years? Exactly. Pretty much on and off. That's insane that he secured that. Yeah, that's crazy. But props to him for him and his agent, really, for securing that deal. But what I think it is, really, is a lot of the teams that think they have the guy or two guys at their position that can carry them far in the playoffs, uh, like, say, Trey Young and John Collins for the Hawks. Like, the rest of their roster was god-awful last year. But they've been making moves in free agency maybe overpaying for a couple guys that can get them to a playoff position. Rondo and Bog then, right? Right, right. We're going to get to that that a little later. But uh, I mean, the same is true for current playoff contenders. Like, they are paying for guys who are on their roster. They are trying to find anybody available in the league to fix those holes. Uh, It's all about, like, paying those role players. Because, honestly, this free agency period didn't have a ton of big names. Uh, Anthony Davis is the only big name that I can really think of, and he opted out of his deal. He is almost definitely going to re-sign with the Lakers for a bigger amount of money than he would have got on the second year of his uh, his player option deal with the Lakers. So he was never really on the market to begin with. This was really just adding pieces to make yourself a championship contender. And that's why you're seeing a lot of these role player guys get deals. But speaking of Los Angeles teams, uh, the LA teams have been busy in free agency. The Lakers, current title uh, holders, they won the NBA Finals this past season. 
They signed Mark Gasol, re-signed Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and they lured Montrez Harrell away from the Clippers, their crosstown rivals. So reigning sixth man of the year, uh, going to the other team that plays in Staples Center. A lot of Clippers fans, a lot of Clippers players uh, were not happy with that. I think it was Lou Williams that went on Twitter and was pretty disgusted with the move, but that's what the Lakers are doing to try and retain their title. And then the Clippers as well, they signed Serge Ibaka from the Raptors, and they, they re-signed Marcus Morris, who was a uh, really big contributor in this uh, the second half of the season, post-COVID, uh, once they picked him up. Or not post-COVID, but once the restart happened. We were still in the middle of COVID, if you forgot. Uh, but he, he was a contributor uh, on their run to the second round of the playoffs. Who do you think, like, which one of these teams would you favor if they were to play right now? Evan, we'll start with you. I mean, first off, Obviously, any team with LeBron is yeah. going to come out on top in the beginning anyway. If you get Anthony Davis back, you've, I feel like the Lakers have taken their championship team and reloaded and are on the way to another championship or at least contending for one. I mean, you lose Dwight Howard, but you come in with Mark Russell, you get KCP back, and getting the sixth man of the year is huge for them. So I think no question is the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, they added... Mark Gasol, they added uh, Devin Schre- uh, Dennis Schroeder, rather, uh, who used to play for the Hawks. He was a six-man-of-the-year contender with the Thunder. And then they, they did lose Rajon Rondo to the Hawks. But I think they've been able to really fill the holes that were created post-championship. Uh, they've been able to, able to fill those pretty well. Sebastian, what do you think? I think I think you guys hit the nail on the head. And I think I'm still kind of amazed at the, the fact that the, the NBA, in terms of the teams, uh, the front offices across the league, not necessarily, you know, the commissioner, uh, let this happen, really. You let a championship team uh, offload some some contract and then bring in a bunch of guys that are that make the team a championship winning team just as good, if not better. Yeah. Um, you you let that happen, just you you're like, okay, yeah, we'll play ball with you, even though you're probably we're gonna play with for second place at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I was a little stunned at that, but um, you know that these. These trade-offs, you know, you lose Dwight Howard, but you pick up uh, Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol, in particular, that's like a presence kind of guy. Yes. Where where his numbers aren't his numbers weren't great in in Toronto, even in their championship year, and they didn't get any better this year. Um. So it, you've you've kind of you have Marcus Gasol there to to improve the guys around him. Uh. He he's still a great center, but he's not going to give you a ton of time on the court, or he's not going to give you a ton of offensive production on the court. Um, he's he's a he's a shutdown kind of guy at this point. Um, I'm interested to see how Laker fans react to him if he mm-hmm. doesn't do extremely well, because uh, you know uh, his brother is a legend in Los Angeles, yes. and I'm fairly certain they'll receive him well, um, at least at the beginning. Or maybe they'll uh, maybe the uh, the blood will ensure that he he's given a, a chance and isn't run out of town like other players mm-hmm. um, that don't produce or you know. And shout out to Danny Green, honestly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the the way they were able to offload Danny Green's contract. I mean, obviously Philly was able to get, or uh, they were eager to get rid of Al Horford, so uh, they would do anything to get rid of that guy. And it just so happened that they got Danny Green in return. But uh, I think that's a win-win for both teams there. But the Gasol deal you mentioned that reminds me a little bit of uh, the Suns picking up Chris Paul because, like, in their heyday, they were really good players. Chris Paul, obviously, to a higher degree than Mark Gasol, I would say, but. It's just the point of getting experienced leadership in the building because these guys aren't going to light up the stat sheet every every night. Chris Paul is a little bit more prone to do that, like I said, but they've been 
to uh, high-intensity playoff situations. Marcus Gasol won a championship. Uh, so it's really just about getting that veteran presence in there for the younger guys on that team. And then I am really not trying to toot my own team's horn uh, mo moving into this next topic, but the Hawks have been one of the most active teams in free agency and the trade period, uh, if not the most active, because they had a lot of young players on their roster that they did not think were contributing. So they've been offloaded or their contracts uh, were up. They have actually gotten Chris Dunn, a backup, uh, backup point guard, could play shooting guard. Uh, he's a really good defensive piece from the Chicago Bulls. They got Danilo Gallinari from the Thunder, who is, again, really good at defense. Uh, Rajon Rondo to run the point for the second unit. They got him from the Lakers for, I believe, two years, $15 million, which that's one of the guys that I said they may have overpaid for. But, I mean, if you get to the playoffs, playoff Rondo is going to be a sight to behold. So uh, that's definitely what the Hawks are banking on there. Obviously, his leadership as well. And then they are in the mix. They are one of two teams that can potentially get Bogdan Bogdanovich from the uh, Sacramento Kings. So the Hawks have actually offered him, they gave him an offer sheet for a four-year, $72 million deal. He signed that uh, yesterday, I believe. And from that point, the Kings have 48 hours to match that deal. So either he is going to go to the Hawks for the compensation that I mentioned earlier, or the Kings are going to be able to offer him a little more than that, and he's going to be a, a King again and be unable to be traded to the Hawks for at least a year. So, Is that another case of overpaying? I don't think that it is, honestly, because you have you have Trey Young, you have John Collins, you have Clint Capella, who obviously has not started a game for the team yet. Uh, he was injured after he got there from Houston last season. But, I mean, maybe you could say it's an overpay because... Because what, I, yeah. I, I honestly don't think, like, any of the moves that I would consider an overpay, I yeah. think Atlanta's priority one right now is to keep Trey Young yeah. and not not let him, you know, you know uh, almost like a Giannis situation right. a year ago, which is like I have no kind of support system around me. Exactly. He's very much the face of the franchise. He clearly loves being Atlanta. Atlanta clearly loves him. I think you want to do your damnedest if you're in that position to make sure, look, we're trying to bring guys in mm. to help you out and put you on a playoff team right here um, in the 404. Like. I, I I don't think it's it's a it's a terrible investment. Mm -hmm. Kids got talent. Yes, that's there's no question there. And uh, if it pays off and they make their way as a six or a seven or maybe even an eight, um, I think this is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of the deals, like obviously Bogdanovich's deal would be four years, but I think Rondo Gallinari and maybe even Chris Dunn, uh, those are all two year deals. So when it comes time to pay Trey Young, if he keeps up at this pace, then he is going to be. A max contract kind of guy and he's going to want that money so uh by that time a lot of the guys they picked up this offseason will be free agents maybe they resign for less uh, so that trey young can get his worth um maybe they go elsewhere but the timing is nice from travis schling he's made a, a couple of really good moves uh evan we'll come back to you are you sold on the hawks as a contender in the eastern conference because we've seen some other teams make some moves obviously the hawks have been super active as i mentioned w what do you make of this team I think they could be a contender in the East. Um, I don't see why not. I know. Would, are the are the NBA doing playing tournaments this season? Do they actually have to month that? They are. Yes. Uh, they actually are going to open it up to the ninth and tenth seeds as well. So like the ninth and ninth and tenth seed play a game. The loser of that is out, and then seven and eight play a game. The winner of that is in the playoffs. So the loser of seven eight and the winner of nine ten play a game to determine that last playoff spot. It's a little complicated. Uh, I don't know if all of our listeners got that, but it's that's that's the format. Is it like the bubble games where it's like if you're close enough, you get this playoff, but if you're not, I don't I don't think there's any sort of cutoff. I think it's just like say if you were an eighth place team that went like 
36 and 36 and you were in a ninth place team that went 20 and whatever 20 and 52 uh-huh. then those teams would still like they would be in the playoffs or the play-ins see i don't like that very much i don't think yeah. that's i don't I, see the playoffs in in american sports at the very least mm-hmm. are are kind of well the the nfl is the, the great example where it's like only the best of the best of the best get in yeah uh baseball for the longest time though that changed this year was like not not even like a third of the league gets into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And basketball, it's always been uh, uh like half the league, right? Yeah. And uh, now it's even league. more than half. It's it's a it's a little much, you know. Yeah, you know? you're you're kind of disvaluing the or lowering the value of a playoff spot, I would say. But I mean, if those games go the way that they are expected to, if the disparity between seven and eight is so much greater than the disparity between nine and ten, then I don't think anybody's really going to have a problem. But I mean. I kind of agree. I think the gimmicks were great for 2020 when you had this COVID restart in the bubble, but I don't really see the point of having this playoff system in, or play-in system in right now. But I think that's that's all we really can do for the NBA. Um, the season does start on December 22nd, so it'll be interesting to see how some of these new pieces work in with their new teams. But we're going to end things off with the NFL right now. Uh, NFL Week 11. Starting off with some not-so-good news, uh, Joe Burrow, the first overall pick in the draft, uh, 2020 draft, to the Cincinnati Bengals. He suffered an ACL tear, and I believe an MCL tear as well. Uh, there was some other structural damage to his left knee in a 20-9 loss against Washington, and he will actually be out for the rest of the season. So, obviously a huge loss for that team because the offensive line obviously was not doing him any favors. And outside of A.J. Green, Geno Atkins, some other dudes on that team, it is a rough roster. And he was really keeping them afloat. He got them to two wins, which is incredible. But some people had him as their rookie of the year, kind of in spite of the rest of his team being so awful. So who do you think leads the race right now, Sebastian? Is it Tua Tagovailoa? Is it Justin Herbert? Is it even Justin Jefferson? Who, who do you think holds that crown? Well, Justin Herbert, for me, I think it's still Justin Herbert mm-hmm. because I, I've seen him do black magic yeah. in Los Angeles. It, it's... He is doing a lot more with a lot less, yes. in my opinion. Chargers aren't that bad, but their record indicates that they are that bad. Um, Tua has, um, I, I'd say, it's just about as much to work with. I'm, I'm not really the Miami guy here. Hmm. Uh, I feel like if Gary were here, he would be telling me, no, no, maybe they, they do have a couple <laughs> guys. Uh, but uh, Tua of it, it really depends on the way the season plays out. Mm-hmm. I think Tua has that, that higher ceiling, but Justin Herbert has blown me out of the water. He has emerged in the West as kind of the star for me in the yeah. West, in spite of, you know, in spite of Russ playing extremely well. Uh, the, the big story for me is Justin Herbert because he's been so, so good with so, so little. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not his fault that he's losing. The, if, that, if he has, like, a, a defense that performs at least 10% better, that team's, like, what, 6-4. You would think, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, even in the the harsh conditions of playing a football out in the West, mm. in terms of how competitive uh, both conferences are out West, he's, he's he deserved he deserves a better team, that's for sure. Uh, whether or not uh, Los Angeles, uh, the Chargers, rather, rather the Chargers will give that to him in the offseason, we'll, we'll have yet to see. But this, they found it. They had their franchise QB walk, and into their lap fell another one. Mm-hmm. I wish I was as lucky as the Los Angeles Chargers. Yep, it's a really good situation for Herbert. Uh, maybe not so much for the rest of the team because you mentioned black magic. There is that sort of black magic that surrounds the Chargers that they are Falcons West, let's say. They mm-hmm. lose games they should win. Uh, I can't I can't even remember how many games they've had a lead late in the fourth quarter or in the fourth quarter, uh, and they've proceeded to lose. 
And that really has not been any of Justin Herbert's fault. So no, it's not. It's the yeah. defense's fault. They just melt away in the second and the second half of games. Exactly. Sounds all too familiar to me, but definitely Justin Herbert is a name to watch uh, years in years moving forward as the Chargers hope to put out a better showing for their new quarterback. Another high-profile game from this weekend, uh, the Colts beat the Packers 34-31 in overtime. And Rodrigo Blankenship, former UGA Bulldog, was the one that kicked the game-winning 39-yard field goal in overtime. Evan, do you think the Colts can make some noise in the playoffs? Because, I mean, at this point, with the Titans kind of fumbling and the rest of the division being as awful as they are, they're pretty much assured to get that uh, that automatic playoff seed for the AFC South. But, I mean, Phillip Rivers is limited. This is probably his last year as a quarterback. But their defense and special teams are really what has been the hallmark of this team so far. So what what is your assessment of them as we get closer to the playoffs? I definitely think they can make a deep run. Um, I'm not going to call them the Rex Grossman Bears, but I am going to call them the Rex Grossman Bears. Okay. You're carried by your good D. You're carried by your special teams. But if Philip Rivers can make the occasional good throw he needs to, then I don't see why they can't compete for AFC championships. I don't see them going to the Super Bowl, but I think they can be take a run to the championship. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that because, I mean, the pedigree in the ACC is such that it is going to be tough to even get to the championship game, let alone the Super Bowl. But, I mean, they can knock some of the, the lower seeds off. They can knock the Browns off. They can knock, say, the the, the Raiders off, I would say. But uh, really interesting stuff from the Colts here uh, because people didn't think they would be that great following Andrew Luck's retirement. People didn't think they would be that great getting Phillip Rivers because he is really limited. Uh, he's not been the face of this franchise this year in 2020, but they're making it work. They're 7-3 and three right now, so a lot of credit to be given to them. And I mentioned the Raiders a little bit before. Uh, we had a really fun game on Sunday Night Football last night. The Chiefs defeated the Raiders 35-31. The Raiders actually took the lead uh, 31-24 with, I believe, a minute 43 left. And people were thinking, oh, the, the Raiders are going to be the only team to beat the Chiefs this year, and they're going to have done it twice. But uh, Patrick Mahomes, in true Patrick Mahomes fashion, drove down the field in, it was really under a minute 43 because there was time left on the clock for the Raiders, and they did not do anything with it. But drove down the field, scored the game-winning touchdown, uh, as Mahomes does. So, Sebastian, I want to ask you, is Mahomes a shoe-in for the MVP at this point? Uh, sort of a two-prong question. Are the Raiders a sneaky good team heading into the playoffs? I don't think they're sneaky good. I think they're just good. Yeah, um, the team's been incredibly competitive in every single matchup that they have. Mm-hmm. Even their bad their their bad losses, like the one against Tampa Bay, um, isn't really a bad loss because that that Tampa team was on a tear up until they got stuffed by by New Orleans. But um, there's nothing sneaky about it. The quality is there. John Cruden has has proven that he's he's produced another quality team uh, at the cost of you know giving him the keys to the kingdom they mm. they literally gave him everything that he wanted but he's he's produced results I, this is his best team this is the best raiders team since what 16 i yep, think 16 that was when Derek carr was last in the mvp conversation yeah. and he's been better this year than he was then yeah uh he like every single aspect of that team is clicking well enough in order to be incredibly competitive for me um what evan was referring like what Evan thinks of the Colts, I think of the Raiders. Okay. I think they have like a chance at the championship run. Um, I think they'll like, if they don't have to run into Seattle or Pittsburgh late. Yeah. Then they won't get bulldozed. They 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 might lose in the the uh, after the wild card round. Divisional, yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. Divisional. But until then, like I, that, I'm fully confident on the. I'm fully sold on the Raiders. I think they're good. Uh, full stop. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for the Mahomes question, I, I just nobody else has really have proven their soul. You know, exactly. we we saw Russ cook, and then he got let the cooked. steak get burned. Yeah. And then he somehow burned the iced tea. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, two, two really sour. The thing is, is that, you know, oh, well, a QB has two bad games. Yeah, but they were really bad games. They were not. They were really bad yeah. games. And it's not like, oh, well, his targets are hurt. Like, DK is not in the game. DK is in the game. Uh, you know, uh, Russ has multiple targets that he can, you know, just not play well at all. Mm. Um, the rookie of the year question is infinitely more interesting to me in terms yeah. of like okay we'll, we've got pieces because at this point the MVP question is just Pat uh, Patrick or Pat Mahomes has played just solid like he's played at his level which is really like elite tier um, and he's kept it at that level all the way through the season so you you really can't say anybody else who who but anybody else but Mahomes mm-hmm. I think that's very fair and uh, before I toss this back over to to Evan for our last points I want to get your take on the Bucks game tonight. Like why are the why are they so bad in primetime games? Because they almost lost I'll, that game to the I'll Giants. Be they got embarrassed. Honest, it's just like a, a given for the Buccaneers where it's like whatever I remember last year, like three and out the gates with uh Ryan Fitzpatrick at the helm. You know, things are happening. Jameis is hurt, but you know, uh this guy the German even quarterback is doing magic in Tampa. A really exciting time and they, they play Steelers in week four, blown out of the water. Yep. Not even a contest. Uh, Fitzpatrick transforms into Fitz Tragic. There's what, like four picks that night. Uh, it wasn't pretty. We, I was, I was stuffed at a Buffalo Wild Wings. I really wanted to go. <laughs> Actually, it was a, uh, it was a team dinner too, a uh, sports department dinner. That's right. That night. Uh, that's part of the reason why it was so vivid to me. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah, the Bucks are gonna actually do something on mm-hmm. primetime this weekend, and boy, did they do something in, in primetime that weekend. I don't know. They're one for one mm-hmm. in primetime this week, this year. Uh, Beat the Giants, lose to the Saints. This is the big test. If they win this game tonight, no doubt about it, they're going to playoffs. I'm convinced. Mm-hmm. Um, if, uh, if they don't do extremely well this game, well, it's, it's still a very big question. Uh, I have heard that the Buccaneers have been playing under the like training under the lights uh, to try and improve their chances under yeah. the lights. In, in Do they play away? No, they play in Tampa. Yeah, it's in Tampa they play tonight. at Raymond James tonight. Um that's that game is going to start in about 17 minutes at this point, mm-hmm. but um, I, I, man, they might do well, but I, it's it's not really a given. It's it's all right. Yeah. You want you want to win this game though. I, I you want to win every game in the NFC South. I hate it here, but um, <laughs> this game especially is important because next week is the 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 litmus test for playoff playoff football because next week going into the bye. Is the Kansas City Chiefs? Yes, that's that's going to be tough. I think it's interesting that you said they were practic- practicing under the lights to kind of get accustomed to that environment. Mm-hmm. That's not really a strategy I've ever heard of, but if it works, it works. And I mean, the Rams are not in easy outs by any means. They're no. in that tough NFC West, so they're on I'm, top of that NFC West too, yeah. no less. Yeah, I am really looking forward to that game tonight, Evan. Uh, what do you make of this Bucks team? Because they had a rough first game against the Saints. They had a rougher second game against the Saints. Uh, but they've been able to rebound both times and kind of blow out their opponents after uh, not having the best of showings against that uh, Drew Brees-led team. So do you think that they have any chance of making a deep playoff run? I mean, now that Brees is injured, I, I don't know if he's going to come back this season. He's on injured reserve right now. Uh, what is your what is your take on this team? I mean, I think it all depends on Brady. Yeah. Is he going to play like a 40-year-old quarterback? Is he going to play like an MVP? I feel like we've had some games where we've seen both sides of it. So if you get the offense clicking, you can defense the whole little bit. And I think there's no reason they can't 
make a run in the playoffs or even win the NFC South as long as the Saints are uh, breathless. For me, the the big ticket isn't so much uh, Brady, mm-hmm. but rather if the receiving core for Tampa gets locked down to the same degree that DK Metcalf got locked down by Jalen Ramsey, by yeah. Jalen Ramsey last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know who they're going to pin him on. They might print him on Chris Godwin. <laughs> Um, they might pin him on Mike Evans, but um, whoever is going to whoever is going to have to deal with him uh, tonight in about 15 minutes at this point. I'm just looking at the clock because man, am I nervous! <laughs> just sweating. But, um, but um, it, they're not going to have a good time. Their production is not going to reflect uh, how difficult it is to deal with Jalen Ramsey. Mm. But uh, well, well, there's only one way of finding out, and we're we're heading towards that rapidly, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Uh, we're actually running a little bit over time, but definitely that vertical passing attack for the Bucks. Uh, if they can get AB worked in there, he hasn't had yeah. a huge showing yet. But that 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 real three-headed monster at wide receiver is going to be the hallmark of this team if they are to win tonight. And and that's why I, I think that Chris Godwin is going to be uh, enemy number one or public enemy number one for uh, Jalen Ramsey because the the combined receiving core of just AB. And uh, Chris Godwin, and something like an eighty percent reception rate mm-hmm. um, when targeted by by Tom Brady. It's incredible that that line that those two. Uh, we can't understate Mike Evans, but Mike Evans has has kind of been the third wheel. No fault of his own. Mm-hmm. Not really a, a a product of the the system, but just because he's being covered week in and week out. Uh, he's usually public enemy number one when it comes to you know being getting outside of coverage. But um, we'll just have to see. Yeah, so definitely going to be an interesting game tonight and an interesting rest of the season as the NFL, it's crazy. After tonight, only six weeks left before before the playoffs. Uh, Did not think that we would be approaching this point so fast, but that's really all we have time for tonight. As I mentioned, we are a little uh, over time. It's 8.06 right now, but thank you all for listening in. Uh, Thank you, Evan, for coming on for your first Tomahawk Talk. Did a great job there. Uh, Hope to have you back on in future shows, but really, that's going to do it. So for myself, for Sebastian, for Evan, for Gary... Uh, for I believe it's Scott running Twitter. If it's not, then I'm sorry. But uh, great job on Twitter tonight. For all of us here at WVFS, you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Have a great night and a happy Thanksgiving.